Father, Lord Jesus, I give you thanks for this day, Lord. I give you thanks that we were able to behold you, the Lamb of God who has taken away our sin. Took it upon yourself, Lord. We give you thanks for that. This is why we come here together. We feel your presence and your Holy Spirit here, Lord. We desire to worship your holy name, for you alone are worthy of that worship. For you alone are, are worthy to take the scroll. You alone are, are worthy to take our place, Lord. We, we deserve utter punishment, the wrath of God. We deserve hell, Lord. But, but you chose to take our place, and we give you thanks this day. Be with us now, Lord God. It's in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. All right, this week we're going to be in Revelation chapter 7. We're reading all 17 verses. So when you find your place, please stand for reading God's holy word. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the seal, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Rudin, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, and 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to the springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's reading the word. You may be seated. A lot going on here, as always in Revelation 7. There's never a chapter you're going to see, but there's not a lot going on. God is showing us marvelous things. In Greek mythology, there's a character we all know very well from the kind of the parable about his ankle known as Achilles. His mother, Thetis, tried to, to make him immortal by dipping him in this mythological river called Styx. And his only vulnerability was found where his mother held on to him when she lowered him into the river. And that was his ankle. And this is why we, we 
uh, come up with a, the Achilles heel. You hear it oftentimes in sports. It, it means their weakness. You know, we think we all we all desire that that invulnerability that his mother tried to give him. We would all like to be as invulnerable as his Achilles, except for his heel. That was his downfall. He is killed in battle because somebody shoots an arrow and hits him right in the heel. And that is how he dies in, in Greek mythology. But you and I, when, when we look to Revelation and we look upon the Lamb of God, we truly see one who is invincible. One who has no weakness at all. And he is the one who is our commander. He is our God. He is our Lord. He is our shepherd. We, we have a great, great need today. We need to understand the power of God. We need not to fear when we hear about, about things with, with other religions, with Islam spreading. Is Islam spreading? Yes. Satan is on the move? Yes. But God has already won the battle. Amen. Satan is like a kicking, screaming bread on his, on his way to his timeout. He's going to hell forever. Mm-hmm. Make no mistake about that. He's trying to bring some of you with him. Don't let him. The power of God is greater than all the power of hell. And we need to know this and live on it. As believers, we need to be earnestly proclaiming the gospel. You have good news. You have better news than a cure to cancer. You know, we, if someone were to come up with a cure for cancer and offer it, they would probably make a lot of money, and they would bring a lot of hope and a lot of happiness to people because of the loved ones that are going through it. We've experienced that loss. But at the same time, cancer or not, we're all going to die. The wages of sin are death. You don't get escape death because you have a cure for cancer. This is the reality. But we have even better news than that. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ, which offers salvation, eternal life, to everyone who believes on the name of Jesus Christ. He is king. He is the lamb. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. We need to look to him. We need to share that news with others. You're not guaranteed how much time you have. The day may come very soon where you're in the throne room of God bowing down and worshiping. You know what you're not doing there? You're not telling people about the gospel because your time is up. We have a short period of time to tell people about the gospel. You don't get a redo in this life. There's no mulligans here. There's no restart. There's no respawn. You get one shot at this. You have one shot of being obedient and bringing God glory. Last week we talked about the wrath of God, God, especially through the Lamb, how it will soon fall upon the world. And I shared the reasons for this and told you as part of God's plan to evangelize the world in, in seven days. But here in, in this chapter we have, uh, in chapter 7, we have a lull in the breaking of the seals. Chapter 6, we saw six seals broken. And then in chapter 8, we'll see the seventh seal broken. But we have a, a lull, and we see this three times in Revelation. And, and what's happening here is God is showing us what, what is going on. He's giving us more details. Very similar, if you were to read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you would get the account in Genesis 1 of the creation of the entire universe, the world, mankind, all the animals, the trees, everything. But then in chapter 2, what happens? We get a more detailed accounting, more personal and intimate, how God formed Adam. And that is what is happening here in, in Revelation 7. God is showing us the intimate details of what's happening. He is telling four angels to, to hold on before the wrath falls upon the earth to seal his servants first. And so this, this is uh, something that is important for us to know, that God has a plan here, that this is God's grace. When we read about the 144,000 in the 
unnumerable amount of people that are saved. Understand that, that John is a wise man at this point in his life. And when he looks out, he's able to number 144,000. <clears> he is able to look out and say, a third of the earth is under the judgment in Revelation 6. A third of the earth will be destroyed. How many people are living on the earth right now? 7.2 billion. Do the math. It's over 2 billion people dead. Just in the first six seals. That is scary. But not for the Christian. The Christian has hope. The Christian will be in glory. And the Christian will be praising God for justice. But what, what do we have here with these 144,000, this innumerable amount? The point I want you to understand is John is able to number great amounts of people. We, we can turn on our, our channels of CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, whatever channel you may watch. And there, there'll be these big marches and these big protests and things that go on in the world. And they'll look out and they'll say, there's 1.5 million people. They, they could do that by looking. They, they know how to do that. We as humans know how to do that. But John says this is innumerable. How many people do you think is innumerable? I don't have the answer for you. But I want to tell you, that is how many people will be saved during the tribulation. That is how many people will be martyred during the tribulation. These innumerable people, these are not people that survived the tribulation. These are people who gave their life for Jesus Christ. And they are given white robes and palm branches. Think about the palm branches. What do we celebrate on Palm Sunday? Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed he is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were acknowledging Jesus as the Messiah. These are people who have acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah and they have been made pure. They've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And they are now standing in His presence day and night, serving Him. They get a special honor. And they are told that they will never thirst again. Why will they never thirst? Because they were thirsty. Why will they never hunger? Because they were starving. Why will they be given shelter? Because they sacrificed their own homes for Jesus. Much more than most of us were, are ever willing to do. We, we see this greatness here. <clears throat> but uh, as a teacher of the word, I, I need to show you with these 12,000. I want to be real clear here. These are not Jehovah's Witnesses or any other shenanigan theology you've been told. These are what we would today call Messianic Jews. Jewish believers in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And we read 12,000 of each tribe. Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. Now, I'm going to instruct my Wednesday night class not to answer. I want to see who else knows. I asked Wednesday night, what's wrong with this passage? There is something deeply wrong here that should stand out to you if you're a student of the Word. There's 12, but these aren't the original 12, are they? Who's missing? Dan. Dan's missing. Who else? Ephraim. We have two tribes missing. This should be a storm warning to you. Just because your daddy is a godly man does not mean you get to go to heaven. The, the person of Dan was a godly man. He was rightly part of the twelve tribes. He was, he was given land as an inheritance as part of the promise to Abraham forever. He's not listed here, is he? He falls away. We could we can read you could read later in Genesis 49 the, the 12 tribes as they're listed. But I'd like to read to you a few Old Testament verses so we can see what happened to Dan. From Judges. And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves, and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, 
We're saying this man is a grandson of Moses. And his sons were priests to the tribes of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up Micah's carved image that he made, as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. So the king took up counsel and made two calves of gold. This is from 1 Kings 12. And he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And he sent one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. Then this thing became a sin, for the people went as far as Dan to be before one. They went and bowed down before a golden calf and proclaimed that golden calf delivered them from bondage. Why is Dan not listed? Because Dan fell away into idolatry, did not repent. Deuteronomy, this is, this is a command from God to Moses. Beware lest there be any among you, a man or a woman or a clan or tribe, whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God, to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, one who, when he hears the words of the sworn covenant, blesses himself and starts saying, I shall be saved, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of the moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against the man, and curse the written in this book will settle upon him. And the Lord will blot out his name from my under heaven. And the Lord will single him out from all the tribes of Israel for calamity in accordance with all the curses of the covenant written in the book of the law. God tells the, the tribes that if you turn away from me, you will receive the wrath of this book. You will see receive my wrath. God is not a magic genie we can rub and get whatever we want out of. Amen. God requires obedience. He requires faith. When, we're, when we stand before God with when, when that role is, is called up yonder is to him we like to sing. When we're before him, he gets out the book of those whose name are in the book of the Lamb. Will your name be there? I'm sure the descendants of Dan thought their names would be there. But they fell away. Do not think God doesn't notice it. Do not think God thinks lightly the fact that you're making idolatry of any, anything else. God is to be first. He is to be foremost. If there's anything in your life, even your spouse or your family that takes more importance than God, it is idolatry. Do not expect a different faith than the tribe of Dan had. We need to, we need to see that God is, God is able to raise up tribes from anyone. He, he, he told this repeatedly. There was many people in Jesus' day who were very proud because they said, I am a descendant of Abraham. I am a child of God. And Jesus plainly says, if, if you love God, you love me. If Abraham were your father, you would love me. But he is not your father, for you're the, you're the child of your father, the devil. Understand what Jesus is saying. Abraham was a child of God by faith. You will be a child of God by faith. Your family doesn't get you saved. Your, your great heritage, being an American, being in a Christian culture, doesn't make you saved. Going to church doesn't save you. Having faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord saves you. Repenting of your sins. Being obedient. That is what he asks of us. I want us to, to understand when we talk about those innumerable that, that are, are so many that, that we can't count that, that God is going to wipe away their eyes. That the, the endurance they had during that time and all they sacrificed, God is going to reward them greatly. Understand that that they had to sacrifice. There may be some here who are hearing me now who do not know Jesus. 
Maybe your hearts are going to be stubborn. You won't know him until after the rapture. Telling you that if you hear, hear this, understand that, that God loves you. And what we read about in this chapter is God's grace. Yes, the Antichrist and those that rise to power will cause great harm to anyone who calls themselves a Christian. The days will be gone where you just get to wake up Sunday morning, come to church, and, and sing worship songs. But your pastor won't be here. And there will be those hunting you down if you try to come to church. It will not be an easy time. It's known as the hardest time in the entire world. Jesus says there will never, ever be a time like it again. We praise God for that. We don't want to live in a time like that. We look at we, we we hear Jesus say, it will be like the days of Noah. Talked about this briefly last week. But what were the days of Noah like? They were so good that God found how many righteous? One. He found Noah. And we can talk about Noah after he gets off the ark. He, he makes some mistakes as we all do. But the reality is Jesus said it would be like the days of Noah. It would even be worse than the generation that Jesus lived in. The generation that crucified Jesus is better than your generation. How that make you feel? When Jesus calls the church home, there will be none righteous. Not one. Because those that have been covered by the blood of the Lamb will be taken home. And we both look forward to it, but also our hearts sink a bit, don't they? Because we have loved ones who do not know the Lord. And so we have this, this dual longing. We long to be home, but we long to see our family saved. I would long that we had that longing for everyone. Not just our family and our friends and our neighbors, those in this community, but those all across the world. The Muslims we hear about taking over in Europe and, and spreading through the Quran, I, I would have us desire to, to see them saved, to see them repent and turn to the Messiah, Jesus. Now, as we, we look and we think, I want us to think about what, what God has done here. God is sovereign, amen? God, God, is, God is the one that is... That is giving the authority to the angels to stop the winds, to stop the judgments of God falling on the earth. He has given authority for them to seal the servants of God. And he has given authority to these 144,000 to not be harmed and to preach the gospel where they are. I talked about it lastly. Well, what God is doing is that the Jewish people have been dispersed for the last 2,000 years. They are in every single country in the world. God has devised a plan so great that, that blows the mind of most missionary planners. You know, if we were to, to try to raise up missionaries and reach every country, you know, by the end of our lifetimes, how would we do it? God has said, I've already done it. They're ready in place. The Spirit's going to convict them that I am the Messiah, and they will preach the gospel like no one's ever preached the gospel. I joked last week that you're going to have 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams going around the world. But the reality is no one knows their Old Testament better than a Jewish man that's been raised in the faith. And they will, they will all be like the Apostle Paul. They will be changed on the inside and they will share the gospel and they will not be afraid. It will be a great and glorious day to see that happen. But there's also going to be severe judgment for those that reject them. But I want, what I want to get across and what I want you to understand is what's so special about these 144,000? What do they have that you don't have? Brother David. They, they are supernaturally protected. They have been sealed by God. But there's nothing on their own that makes them different than you. you know, we, we can look back and see the great movements of God throughout history. There was a time, you know, in October will mark 500 years 
since God had to wake up his church in the Reformation. The church had fallen away. They had fallen asleep. They had been preaching that all God cares about is tithes and offerings and sacraments. It's utter blasphemies. And then there was a man that God rose up. He wasn't anything special. He was a monk. He was a bigot. There's all kinds of things that we could use to describe Martin Luther. But he was a man that was on fire floor and God used him in all his imperfections, all his weaknesses. Martin Luther was not a perfect man. We, we make him out to be a hero. Who the hero is is God. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, Martin Luther's been described like this. He was a, a man who went to post his 95 theses on a church door. Theses is a statement. These were basically 95 complaints against the heresies of his day. I could easily come up with 95 heresies that we have to deal with today and say from on the church door. I don't know if it would be cause a worldwide revolution. No, it wouldn't. He's described as a man who, who, a, who is blind and went up into a church tower. And he lost his footing and he leaned over to grab something to stabilize himself and he grabbed the, the church bell rope and woke up the whole town. What's different between you and Martin Luther? You believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord? Then there's nothing different. Why can't God use you like that? He can. He will. We can look over and over again throughout time, throughout history. We'll see this. And many of us, I know you'll you'll come up with excuses. I didn't go to seminary, Pastor. I don't have that training. I don't have that experience. Come to me, talk to me privately. I will eradicate every excuse you have. I promise you that. If you want a seminary education, sit down with me. I, I will give it to you. There's nothing that you can't learn. I am not somebody who's on a higher intellectual level than you can achieve. I'm not. I'm a regular, everyday guy who's been called by God, just like you all have. It doesn't matter how older you are or how young you are. God is calling you to step up and to serve Him, to be obedient. As, as we look, there, there really are, are three things, I think, that all people that have been used by God greatly have in common. Number one, we all have. It is faith. You can't be used by God if you don't have faith in Him. Point blank. If you want to be the next Billy Graham, but you don't acknowledge Jesus as your Savior, good luck to you. It's not going to happen. Number two, I think we, we, we may not like to agree with this one, but we all should agree with him. Number two, that we are greatly unqualified for the work that God has us to do. God's never going to say, you know what, this, this is right in your wheelhouse. This is what you're comfortable at. Go and do this because I know you'll be great at it. Why doesn't God do that? In our weakness, he is made strong. Not in our strength, he is made weak. You guys know me well. I am a geek. I'm very good with computers. But that's not what God has called me to. He's called me to preach the gospel the last place on earth I would have ever told you I wanted to be. There was a point in my life where I was terrified to speak in front of people. But I surrendered, and I was willing to be obedient to God, and God took that away. I want you to understand that what God is calling you to, He will provide it. You'll have to get uncomfortable. It won't be easy. You won't, you won't one day say, you know, this is just so easy. Thank you, God. No, you, you, He's going to put you in a place where you are completely reliant on Him each and every day. That is the best place on earth to be. Because you don't have to worry about failing. You don't have to worry about letting yourself down for this God who's doing the work. There are many times I'm going to fail, and it's because I'm trusting in my own power. 
When we trust in God, you don't fail. Because God doesn't fail. Amen. The number two point is they were unqualified, but they trusted in God. Number three, this is the thing you hear me harping on a lot, is they were obedient. It would have been scary to be Martin Luther. He wasn't going up just against his local church. Like if there was something going on here and Bubba and I are fighting it out, you know, it's, we fight it out locally. But what did Martin Luther have to go to? He had to go to Rome and stand in front of the Pope who had the power to put him to death. Bubba might be big enough to kill me, but he doesn't have the power to put me to death. This is the reality that Martin Luther faced. But he said, I'm going to be obedient because this is what God has told me to do. What has God told you to do? Do you know? If you don't know, I'm going to challenge you this week to be in your word, to be praying, asking God to speak. If you generally in your heart want God to speak, he will speak. Be prepared for the answer. You may not like it. You may kick and scream and complain. I'll help you with that. It's all right. I've been there. But God is calling each and every one of us. We are all part of a royal priesthood. We are all to be sharing the gospel. We are all disciples. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, it's a purpose. It wasn't for the, the, the 12 disciples. It was for all disciples. We are to make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey all the things that Christ has commanded. That takes the church. It takes the church. Not just the pastor and the deacons. Not just the Sunday school teachers. It takes every one of us. And when we are faithful like that, you will see God heaven and earth. You will be able to walk through those open doors that we talk about. Before I close, I want to share one, one more quick story with you. When I was about 11 or 12, for many years I lived with my grandfather, but I lost him to emphysema. So eventually I would end up living well with my uh, uncle and aunt. And I, um, my, I had a cousin there that became my adopted brother. It was kind of a, one of those unique circumstances. And I, I thought we got along great. I didn't realize quite the, the depths of despise that he had for me because now he had to share his entire world. Instead of being the oldest boy, he was now the second oldest. He had to share his bedroom and all his toys. And, and I didn't realize it, but he was plotting revenge. Ever you been the victim of revenge? Well, it went, it went like this. My, my aunt had went out and bought us a bunch of Christmas presents. And, you know, being that he's lived there a lot longer, he knows where she hides them before she wraps them. And she always says, you know, I bought the presents. Don't, don't go looking for them. If I find out, you know, you know what you got, or return it to the store. And so but he's like, I know what they have got. I'll show you. And so he goes, and he, he looks under his bed first, and he has anything to look up. Say, okay, you go look what you got now. I'll look out. So while I'm under the bed looking at what I got, is that rapid fire, crossfire, marble shooting game, if anybody remembers those. But my, he goes and gets my aunt and says, Dylan's looking under the bed. He used me, and I got in trouble for it. <laughs> ever, have you ever felt that before? Have you been used by someone? It's not fun, is it? I bring this up because many of you here have a call to ministry. Everyone here has been charged to share their faith with others, but we tend to listen to that old devil. We tend to listen and say, no, you're not good enough. You can't do that. God doesn't really love you that much. Are you even saved? How can you do that? That is what the devil does. He reminds you of your past. As the old saying goes, remind the devil of his future. 
God has called you. God will equip you when it is time. Another old saying is, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. I was called to be a pastor long before I was called to go to seminary. Long before I was called here by this church. Before I was ordained, God had called me to be a pastor. You don't go to seminary to get called. You go to seminary because you are called. And so when we look out, and I want you to be praying this week for what, you, what God is talking to you. Because only when we come together, only when we are together living out the call that we have, Will this work? Will we be able to go through that open door together? I would implore, implore you to join in the work of the kingdom. God is sovereign. He's able to do what he's told you he's going to do through you. When we, we look, look over everything and we, we hear that devil talking to us, understand that he's a defeated foe. He's surrounded on all sides with a death sentence, waiting for it to be carried out. But he longs to drag you down like Dan and Ephraim. He longs to take away your inheritance. He can't get anything out of it, but he could rob God of joy, and he could rob you of your joy. Don't allow that to happen. So today, as I close, I'm going to ask three things. In just a minute, we're going to play an altar call song, beautiful song. But it's a little longer than usual, and it's that way on purpose, because it's not going to be a standard altar call. First of all, we're going to offer the standard altar call we do to everyone. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord, I implore you to come down. I am not one of the preachers that say just raise your hand while everybody closes your eyes. A call to be a Christian is a call to stand out. If you're not willing to stand in front of Christians and declare you're a Christian, you're never going to be willing to go out there and share the gospel. You're willing to put your life on the line for Jesus Christ. We need to be bold. We need to stand out. We need not be afraid of that devil and all the powers that he has because God is sovereign. He is not. Our buddy Martin Luther described Satan so, so poetically, he said, it's God's yard and, and Satan is just the chain pit bull running around barking. He can bark a lot, but he can't bite you. He can't get that close. God is the owner. God is the master. And God's going to do with that pit bull what God's going to do with him. Do not be afraid of him. But number two, for, the, for the, those of you who have been here a while, is to become a member of our church. Come alongside of us. We are stronger together when we are united. There's no reason not, not to be a member of this church if you're a Christian. I know many of you have been com coming here for a while. Why do you wait? Join us in mission now. I want to see you serving alongside my brothers and sisters in ministry. We can't do that if you're not willing to be a member. That's telling us you're not willing to be a representative of New Hope. You need to be willing to be that representative. Because you represent Christ and you represent us. Number three... And this is for all of you who maybe have excuses. Or maybe you don't know what God is calling you to. You need to be willing to be a disciple. You need to be teachable. You need to be willing to submit to the leadership of the church. Myself and the deacons. So that we can come alongside you. We can help you. We can mentor you. We can show you whatever the things are that God is calling you to. I know early on when I first got involved in ministry, they, they put me in children's ministry. I learned so much from that. It wasn't what I was called to. But a lot of times, you know, we'll see Jesus. He'll send people out two by two. And they had those moments where they fail. And Jesus would come back and correct them and show them what, what was happening. And ultimately, by doing that, he was raising up Peter and John to be these great leaders. My desire is we would raise you up to be the next great leaders, not just of this church, but of many churches. 
And I desire that there are some here that are meant to be sent out to plant churches, meant to be sent out to be missionaries, meant to be sent out to be servants, pastors and pastors' wives to be raised up. It doesn't start when you're old. It starts when you're young. I want to train these children up so they know how to stand for the faith. When they go off to school, that they, they are the ones who are um, bringing their professors to conviction, not the other way around. That a day will come when they are able to defend their faith. Just as I hope you can defend yours. So my call to you, and I'm going to ask my, my deacons to stand up with me during the altar call, is if any of you do not know Jesus as your Lord to come down, or if you desire to be a member, come on down. And thirdly, if you do not know what God's calling you to, come down, we'll pray over you. We'll ask the Spirit to to give you a special anointing this week and ask you to be in prayer and read your word and come back to us when God has spoken to you. There's never a Christian that is meant to be on the sidelines. We're not meant to sit in the pews all week long. We're meant to sit in the pews while we're being instructed and exhorted. That is the only time we should be sitting down. The rest of the time we should be up serving the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to close in prayer now. I'm going to ask my deacons to come up and we will pray over anyone who is willing. But like I said, to, to be a Christian means you're going to have to stand up. You must be willing to come down. Let us pray. Abba Father, Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for your holy word, Lord. I pray if there's anyone here, Lord, that, and they don't know you, that they would come down. And allow us to come alongside them and pray as they receive you as their Lord. If any decide to join us in mission as members, Lord, bring them down to break their hearts. Let, let them see what you're doing here, the open door you have for new hope. And Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know what you've called, I know you've called each and every one of us. That's why you give each and every one of us gifts from your Holy Spirit to, to be used to edify, to grow the body. Let them come down. Let us pray over them and reveal to them, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, what you would have them do, Lord, what you are training them for, equipping them to do. Many will be called here to... To, to help us here in New Hope, and some will be called to be sent out to fulfill the Great Commission to go to the, all the ends of the earth. Be with us now, Lord Jesus, in your holy name. Amen.